Welcome to Fried, the ultimate guide to burnout podcast. If you've ever been burnt out because of your job, your relationship, or just your life, this is the place for you. We will talk all things burnout by sharing deep stories of personal transformation each week with a new guest who vows to share their stories without leaving out the scary bits. This is raw, honest, and brought to you by acupuncturist and burnout coach Kate Denovan, whose own experiences make her determined to change the current burnout culture. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the show. I'm so glad to have you here. Today, we have Tavana Denise Boggs, who is a combination of a physical therapist, a life coach, and a business mentor. Her mission is to save as many physical therapists as she can from burnout, boredom, and glass ceilings. Over the past 18 years, Tavana has worked as a clinician in various settings. Her personal experience with burnout led her to become a certified life and wellness coach, developing a unique approach to working with other clinicians experiencing symptoms of burnout. She uses her background in healthcare and the past 10 years studying and engaging in non-traditional business models to help healthcare professionals create wellness businesses. Tavana, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Caitlin. I'm excited. Can't wait to dive in. Me too. We've been starting every show with a deep dive into your burnout story. So just let us know what happened. Oh my goodness. Which time, right? (laughs) Start at the beginning. Oh, well, it's been an interesting road. I tell people it went from, I was the classic type A, going to march up the ranks kind of person as a physical therapist. And I did that. I got to the level of assistant clinic director and was running the clinic because the the group director was off, split between several clinics. So I actually was responsible for that one. And when it came time for him to leave to take care of his family, I didn't get the promotion, which didn't bother me quite as much as I thought it would because the person that they brought in, I I had a lot of respect for. He was killing it at his clinic. So I was like, okay, cool. No problem. The problem that I had was when I wanted to go to my brother's graduation. I'm currently in Atlanta. He was graduating from NYU and I wanted to go to his graduation and they said no. And I'm like, Uh, but I have PTO paid time off. It's mine. Why can't I go? And that was the first time where I realized that I don't do well working for other people. And I was starting to feel like this is something's not right here. And I quit and I started a contracting company. And that's, that was my first instance there. Um, I think not a true kind of burnout, but just this realization that the traditional way of working wouldn't work for me. Then I got to, it was actually very freeing because as a contractor, I had more control over my money, my schedule and everything. And unfortunately, because of some business dealings that I had, I had a lot of debt. So I worked my Fanny off. And when I tell you I worked my butt off, I would wake up at 4.30, get to work at 5.30 at one facility, drive to the next facility, work till eight o'clock, drive home. I was doing almost 200 miles in a day in my car and working over over 12 hours a day. And I paid off the debt, which was great, but I was exhausted, overweight, um, severely overweight. And I just, I was exhausted and I did not want to I really started to resent being a physical therapist and helping people because I realized that 
I did make a lot of money, but I was trading my life. I didn't have a life. I traded my health and everything to make that money. And I'm like, this, something's got to give here. So I think that was the second version, but the the most visceral version of me burning out. I think that's, that's what I would say there. And then finally, I just, after I paid off all my debt, because to me, life was less expensive. I just didn't work a whole lot. And it was really good because I had more time for myself, time to work out, time to be with myself, time to travel. But I got to this place where it was just like, what am I doing? What am I doing this for? I just get up, go to work, come home, get up, go to work, come home, get up, go to work, come home. And it got to the place where on Sundays I would just dread. I would totally, it wasn't even Sunday night. It would be like Sunday at two, three, four o'clock in the afternoon. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't feel like going to work tomorrow. And I start thinking about work, but this was supposed to be the day of rest. Yeah. Yeah. So those, those, I would say that those were my three instances of some version of burnout for me. And when you were in this place where you were exhausted and you had gained weight and you were feeling resentful, when you say exhausted, were you feeling mentally exhausted, physically exhausted, emotionally exhausted, all of the above? It was all of the above, right? So one, I was sleep deprived. Mm-hmm. Two, I, because I was gaining weight, I wasn't working out. I wasn't feeling my physically I was deprived. Right. Um, and then emotionally it was really this, now that I think back on it, it was really this sense of, I, what am I doing? What am I doing this for? All I'm doing is working and paying off debt and paying the bills. And really one of my friends said it best, I think trading my life force. That's what it felt like. That was emotionally exhausting. Well, and which is really interesting because I know this about you from previous conversations. You got into PT because you were incredibly inspired by it. Oh, yeah. I, well, my, my short story of getting into PT was I wanted to be a doctor, a medical doctor, and I didn't have good experiences with them. They didn't have a lot of time, a lot of hands-on because I had some medical issues as a, as a teenager. So I was like, well, if this is what medicine is. I don't want to do it. And I happened to do some shadowing with a physical therapist and got to see this little old German lady drive down the street for the first time after having a hip replacement or after breaking her hip. And so I got to see that I could be connected to the medical community and actually see what see somebody improve. And that's what made me want to be a physical therapist. But then I just got into the, what I call the career treadmill. And I was just on it. (laughs) That's where I talk about just get up, go to work, come home. You just, that's why I hate being on an actual treadmill. I want to run in the street, (laughs) like I'm going somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And this is a really big thing that I think people need to understand is that you can have a very strong passion and be very inspired by what you do and still burn out. Oh, 100%. I think a few few things happen is that I had no path. I had no direction. I had no vision of where I wanted the career to go to once it was halted by, okay, I'm not moving up in management and I'm just going to work every day to pay bills. Right. And at that point, you also mentioned that 
and this is a very, very common emotional symptom that I hear from so many people that go through burnout, especially those of us in the caring professions, in the medical fields, is you started to feel resentful. Mm -hmm. You're not seeing your patient and seeing them improve and, and be feeling proud. It's annoying. Yeah, because I mean, there was still you still cheer for the patient. I still do a good job for my patients. But I it's just like the energy behind it is different. Because I'm I'm trying to give to them from an empty place. Yeah. This is something that I found to be true also in my practice. And I knew it wasn't my patient's fault. I knew it was my own shit that I had to work through. And, but when I, I always sort of balanced burnout while I was still doing acupuncture full time by noticing the days that I looked at my schedule and sighed instead of the days I looked at my schedule and was like, Oh, I'm really excited to see these people. As a general rule, I've had really, really great patient relationships. I really love the people that I've treated over the years. I've been so lucky to meet so many amazing people. And so when I looked at my schedule and was like, oh my God, I have to do this again today. Mm-hmm. That's one, that was always a sign for me that it was time for me to shift into a different mode of thinking, care, inspiration, any of those things. No, I know that feeling well. I mean, it's the feeling of like, oh, I have to do this again or being excited because somebody cancels. Yeah, being excited because somebody cancels is a big one. Yeah. Is a big one. Yeah. And it is difficult in the jobs that we do to, there's only so much money you can charge for a session, right? So you are trading your hours for money in a way that you might not have expected to when you got into the profession in the first place. Right. And it feels very stagnant. Like your, your income is very limited. There's only so many people you can treat. There's only so many things that you can do. So you get stuck in this box of, okay, I, I felt like for me personally, it was easy for me to get to the top. I got to the top of where I was going to be. I was making as much money as I could have been making. Mm-hmm. And then what? Right. <laughs> it was pretty much the same thing for me. So when I started the contracting work, when I decided I wasn't going up the managerial ladder, right, I was making way more than the therapists working next to me doing the same job. And I could tell them when I was going to come and go. So it was great for a while. But I've been contracting since 2007. Right. So after a while, you're you stay at the top for a long time. You're like, now what? How do I reinvent myself? What else can I do? Because at, in, in my heart of hearts, I still would tell people I love being a PT. Yeah. I just didn't love the way that I was doing it. Yeah. And something that you said in the video on your website that I really love, you said that there was a few times that you had to breathe new life into your practice. So you were inspired by this and you were inspired by that. And it sort of sustained you for a little while. And then... Now you're in a different place. So this last new breath, what, what happened? Well, in, well, a couple of things happened. I got rid of the weight, started helping others um, explore fitness and movement again and new ways 
use to fuel their body. So that was an, an interesting, like, oh, I can use my degree in another way, right? And that helped breathe new life. Then I went to life coach um, training and got certified. And that breathed new life as well, because I had a new way of relating to my patients. I had new tools in my tool belt. I had a new way of um, thinking about my circumstances and everything. And so that was that was one of the biggest changes for me that I realized that I wasn't stuck, that I had a choice in the matter, that I had power in this situation. And then it charged it challenged me to think how else can I do this thing that I love that feels better for me um, versus feeling very much stuck, very much the victim of the healthcare industry and insurance and uh, the organizations that I contracted with and things like that. Um, so that was basically what happened. And then we got to the place where I'm like, wait a minute, maybe there are other people out there that are thinking like, I think, because that was another thing that I think contributed to it is feeling very isolated even though there are always tons of people around me because I worked in big hospitals and things like that, I always felt like an outsider. I always felt like I think differently. I'm going to read these different books, going to these conferences and whatnot, and I really am not interested in what you guys are talking about. And so I think one of the new breaths also was finding, creating a, a group or bringing together others that think like me. So that was very helpful too. And that's a really tricky thing because feeling isolated and isolating yourself are symptoms of burnout and causes of burnout. Right, right. right. So, so it's a chicken or egg kind of the situation. Yeah, this is a really difficult situation. And this is something that you and I have spoken about before because we've shared burnout research back and forth over the past mm -hmm. year or so. And, and this is a really tricky place to be because are you – if you're feeling isolated in your job, are you feeling isolated because you're already burnt out and you don't have the energy to be connecting with people? Or are you feeling isolated because you're isolated? Mm. That's something to think about. And so, and because the fact of the matter is when you started reaching out to find people who were going through similar things, that was one of the moments that we connected, right? You've, you reached out to people to, to find out if other people were feeling these things and you found a whole bunch. <laughs> right. It's like that Michael Jackson song, you're not alone. I'm here with you. <laughs> right. And so when you realize that there were so many more people from today's perspective, do you feel like you were actually isolated? You were isolated because you were burnt out or you were isolated because of a lack of open sharing about what everyone was going through? Uh, I think it's more of a lack of open sharing. Yeah. I think there, especially in the healthcare industry, there's this sense of you have to have your, and maybe in other industries as well, but there's a sense of you have to have your stuff together because you're supposed to be the, the expert, the authority, the healer. So you can't be hurting. You're supposed to be healing other people. And so I think there's this, unwritten rule that you don't you hide your weaknesses you only display strength you don't talk to others about it everything's okay everything's good I got this right even when you find yourself sleep deprived mm -hmm. exhausted 
gaining weight and resentful. Correct. Right. So I would say I would feel like that at night. And then in the morning, I would say, okay, let's put on our game face. When did you decide to take the game face off? I decided to take the game face off. I think it was really and truly when I went to life coach training and I realized that it was my, the way I was viewing things that was causing a lot of the, the personal suffering, right? Because there's pain and there's suffering. Right. And that was the, that gave me the, the idea to, okay, let me see how else I can look at these situations. And when I realized that maybe somebody was just unaware of certain things and that I did have a voice, that I did have a power, power in the situation, I felt lighter. I felt yeah. more in control of my life. I didn't feel stuck. I was like, okay, I don't, I could leave. I could, could end the contract. I could. And I ended up actually like, how can I help? Right. I, yeah. I'm learning some things. So how do I reach back? And that's when I decided to pitch a um, burnout resilience program to the director of rehab services at one of the facilities and it got accepted. But it wasn't until I realized that there are some things that I learned to do that the rest of us could um, benefit from that that was even a thought in my mind, right? And then also the fact that once you and I talked and I met some other people that, hey, we understanding that we're not alone is actually beneficial in and of itself even yeah. without a change in perspective. So just being able to create that safe space for my colleagues was super helpful. So what was it about the life coaching training that allowed you to move from victim mode to creator mode that allowed you to move from this place of I'm stuck, I have no voice to I'm not stuck, I have choices, I have power, I have a voice. What? Because not everybody that's listening knows exactly what a life coach does or what the training would entail. So what was it about the training that triggered that change in you? Well, in order to answer that, I would have to tell you a little bit, just very briefly how I was trained. Like yeah. traditional life coach training, as far as I understand it, is very action based. Like what are your goals? Where are you going? These are the steps. Let's do some accountability. Did you get there? Um, the way I was trained in causal coaching is like, what's at the root cause of any result that you're creating in your life? And we follow something that's called the thought model. And so in that, it says there is a circumstance or situation that is happening in our lives. And we have a thought about it. A thought is simply a sentence that runs across our mind or an opinion. We have 65,000 of them a day, right? And based on how we think about the situation or circumstance, we have a feeling, an emotion comes up for us, overwhelm, exhaustion, frustration, for example. And based on how we feel, we act. We have an action or reaction based on how we feel. And those actions over time create our results. And those results prove our original thought. So one of the examples that I give, um, I got quite frequently when we were doing the burnout resilience training is about the manager. So the circumstance is the manager and the 
let's say one of my clients would say, they never listened to me. That's the thought. They never listened to, yes, that's the thought. They never listened. They believe that they never listened to me. They never listened to my ideas. Now, some of the listeners might say, well, that's true. They never listened to me, right? But when, whenever you want to be careful, whenever you hear always or never, because that's often not true. And so in that point, we know that that thought is an opinion about the circumstance, not fact or truth, right? And because that person is thinking they never listened to me, they feel frustrated or defeated when it comes to conversations with that, that manager. Yeah. And when they're feeling frustrated or defeated because they're thinking they never listened to me, then they don't often speak up or they don't try to frame it in a way that it'll be heard or they don't persist. Right. And the result of that is their ideas aren't heard, which prove the or implemented, which prove the initial thought. And so when I learned that concept of the thought model in life coach training, it changed everything for me because then I got to choose how I thought about the situations and the circumstances in my life. And if I had a result that I didn't like, I got to look at my thoughts, opinions about the situation to decide, did I want to continue thinking that way because it's causing that result? And if I don't want to continue thinking that way, then how else can I or do I want to think about that situation that would produce a different result? So using this same example, if the thought is my manager never listens to me, the feeling mm -hmm. is I'm frustrated, I feel defeated, I feel unheard. And Correct. the action is to remove my communication because I'm not being heard anyway. And we, mm -hmm. we complete that circle. Then what kind of thought could we use to replace the they never listen to me opinion? One of the things that I did is maybe they were distracted. So if it was a specific instance, and so sometimes I can get people to give me a specific situation that they're talking about where the manager doesn't listen to my ideas or they didn't listen to my ideas. And oftentimes what will happen is um, there was a, a tech that said that she had some really great ideas, but she would say, well, he, he doesn't listen to my ideas. And so I would just ask, like, when did you tell him? Oh, I just told him in passing in the hallway. Well, if he has 68 direct reports, people that report to him, is it likely that he may have forgotten? He was off to run into a meeting, some fire came up that he put out and he forgot. It's possible. Okay, well, if, it, if that's possible that that might have been the situation versus he's directly attacking you or ignoring you, then that's a different energy and space than we can move and act from. Right. So if the thought was then, my manager was distracted. Mm -hmm. and then you might feel hopeful right. or persistent or committed to the idea, right? Or the one, yeah, if that's what it was, he's distracted, then you might feel hopeful. And then you might send him an email in addition or ask him again in a different setting. Right. Or say, right. there's with, something that I would like to run through with you. When do you have time to discuss it? And right, where he's not it. distracted. Correct. Right. This is very, so in my world, in, in the life coach training that I've done, 
this is very similar to the shift that I mentioned before, the shift from victim to creator of your own life. The, the, the things happen to me to things happen for me models, right. this kind of balance. So how else do you recognize if you're a person who doesn't consider yourself a victim and you have these opinions and thoughts, is there something that you think could trigger people to say, oh, maybe that's what I'm doing too? Like, is this example that we gave enough or do you think that people, well, maybe I'll say, I think that people very often are hiding from the fact that they have these thoughts and opinions because they've already created them as fact in their life. So how do we encourage people to, even during this podcast today, to stop and say, okay, but is this true? Yeah. Well, one of the exercises that I give people, especially if they find themselves to be one that carries their work home with them, and then their spouse, significant other partner, whatever, has to hear it all night, or they, if they live alone, they just run it all night, all night, all night, and then they wake up exhausted because they've been running that all night. Um, I give them the, the task of keeping a journal in the car. And so when, or just a simple spiral notebook, when you get to the car, you just thought download, just do a five minute dump out of your brain, everything that you want to say about what happened during the day, what you didn't get to say, what you wanted to say, you want to curse somebody out, whatever, just empty it onto paper. And the, the beautiful thing about doing that is then you can, it's separate from you right? It had, you have a little bit of distance, just enough where you can look at it line by line and ask yourself now separate it from the thought because it's written in black and white. Is this true? Now, when you ask yourself the question, is it true? Then sometimes people want to go into defense. Of course it's true. He's an idiot. He's a jerk. He's my manager. He always does it. Right. But the, the true litmus test of is it true, like is it really true, is if you lined up 100 or 1,000 people, would they say the exact same thing about the exact same situation? And like I said, we had 68 people in that, that department. There are coworkers that didn't feel like they were not heard. Right. There were ones that went to lunch with them, right? So then that is your test. If everybody doesn't have the same sentence thought that runs across their mind, there is an opportunity there to challenge that as an opinion and just decide whether or not you still want to hold on to it, to it as being true. The other question is like, is it helpful? Right. Is it helpful for me to believe this story that I'm telling about this thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is just another version of something in life coaching that, or even psychology that is called reframing, taking a situation, looking at it, looking at it through a different lens and trying on different lenses to find one that actually is beneficial to you, regardless of what you feel the truth is. Because the fact of the matter is, you know, there's a, there's an expression that says there's three sides to every story, mine, yours, and you know, the one from above. I don't believe there's only three. I believe there's an unlimited number of stories. And one of the reasons that I love doing this podcast is because we hear different versions of people's stories and how they moved through it and how they figured it out. And storytelling has always been used throughout history, thousands of years, millennia and millennia. Storytelling has been used as a healing model. So this to me is 
so important because it's not just about storytelling as a healing model when you're working one-on-one with people when you're the practitioner. It's storytelling as a healing model in your own brain. What are the stories that you're telling? Are they helpful for you? Is it the absolute truth? I don't believe there is an absolute truth. I don't think that that exists. I would agree. Right? So is this story that you're telling yourself, is it useful for you? Is it helpful? That's an, it's not just is it true, but is it helpful? Because everything is true and not true to a certain degree, depending on who you speak to and, and what's going on. This is especially obvious to me in my sister and I have both done various forms of therapy and self-help and self-growth. And we've talked a lot about the way that we grew up and we have totally different views about the information that we got from our parents. Some things we agree on and a lot of things I'm like, that's what you got from that? Not me. (laughs) Totally different. We had different filters on for whatever reason. And we interpreted the words that our parents use completely differently from one another. That's fascinating. I'm going to totally go back and have a powwow with my brother and see. Oh, you (laughs) have to. And you tend to tell the stories that line up because when you meet with someone, finding a place of resonance means that you're telling stories that match up. So we often don't tell the stories that don't match up. So when we are complaining about a boss and we're in this environment and there's nine people and somebody is complaining about a particular situation with a boss, in order to have a human connection, we'll often tell a similar story in in order to connect, say, oh, that happened to me too, which is another layer of you're telling the story in your head, you're having the feeling, you're you're doing the action, you're proving the story to yourself, then you're saying it out loud, and people that want to connect with you are telling similar stories in order to connect with you on that level and say you're not alone. And so that deepens that story in you. Right. Right. So there's all these layers of storytelling to, to work through and to ask those questions. Is this true? Is this helpful? It's good. I mean, just like you said, deepening the story, it's the same thing. The result always proves the thought. And so the, the cycle continues because it's a feedback loop. Right. And in the moments where it doesn't, you, we don't register it. Right. We ignore those parts. We look for proof of our beliefs. Always. Isn't it unbelievable? The brain is amazing. It is. And what is, so this is one of my favorite parts about coaching. What do you think happens or what was the feeling in your body when you first realized that one of the stories you were telling wasn't true? And how do you see this in people that you work with? Like, that, that light bulb moment. What, what does it look like? What does it feel like? I was excited. Yeah. I remember clearly going to Chris, who was my coach at the time, as I was learning this process, this thought model. And I was like, wait a minute, do you mean that I can feel good all the time? (laughs) And she was like, if you choose to. And I was like, huh. But, and do I feel good all the time? No, (laughs) I am still very much human, but at least I have the tools now and I have the understanding that if I'm creating a result in my life, I need to trace it back to my thoughts. If I have a feeling that doesn't, like that is something that I don't, is a negative feeling. It's something that I don't want to feel like I can trace it to a thought. 
Does that always mean that I want to change the thought? Sometimes I wallow in it. Yeah. And that's my prerogative. But I think there's even a power in that. I believe that. I believe the same. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you have to feel the shit. Right. You just do. This sucks. Yeah. And this is where we are today. (laughs) And I'm going to lay on the couch. (laughs) And that's that. It is what it is. But at least I know that I did it to myself versus somebody is doing something to me. Right. And I think the tricky part about one of my issues with life coaching in the beginning was there were things in that happen in life that are not dependent on your thoughts. Somebody in your immediate circle passes away and you're going to react to it. Like that's going to happen. And I couldn't find for myself for quite a long time, the freedom within the life coaching model to do exactly as you said now, like this, I'm going to react to this because this is shitty right now. And that's part of life. And so it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to feel great all the time. And it doesn't mean I'm going to be able to fix everything because not everything is dependent on my thoughts. There are external things that happen that have to be dealt with, but how we take it on, how we continue the story about the thing that happened into the future is, is where we can use the reframe. I ruptured my Achilles tendon. I was not happy about it. Right. Right. I found a way to use it. I'm recording these podcasts now. I have the time to do it because I can't go to the office. I can't work. So I have this space now to do this other thing. And I'm very excited about it. And that's a wonderful thing. So I created a positive thing out of this situation. But that doesn't mean that the situation in and of itself was inherently negative or positive. It's something that happens that had to be dealt with. Right. But see, one of the things that you notice, the the situation was, I tore my Achilles tendon. Your thought was, okay, now I have time. I have the space to do some of the things that I haven't done before. So then you're motivated. Then then your action is you're recording the podcast. Right. And then you're actually doing those things that you didn't have space for before. Whereas the the same situation, circumstance, torn Achilles tendon, you could have gone down a whole different thought model with that. Right. And, and the, I did for two days. Right. I gave myself two days to wallow in my misery. <laughs> you know, I was such a poor thing. Right. And, and that's I why like, I love okay. the, the thought model because it doesn't matter what happens. Like Achilles tendon, not a good thing, but you choose how you think about it, which creates different results reality experience in that yeah just like a job loss just like a car accident yeah it's what we think about that situation absolutely because if we talk about and this is just really to to kind of bring it in when we talk about things that would traditionally be seen as not positive so if someone passes two because i work in a hospital right so i see this all the time two thoughts about that one person's passing One is, oh my God, I'm never going to see them again and whatever else might go through that. And then the other being, at least they're not in pain anymore. Right. Same circumstance. Yeah. So. Which story are you going to tell yourself? Mm -hmm. When you work with people now, who are you working with and what is your goal? What's your current work? 
So through the evolution of things, it was like, okay, I can definitely help people with their thoughts about their work and whatnot. But just like when we were talking about my story, even when I started the contracting company and I had more freedom and I had more money, it was still like something's quite not quite right. And I really want to give other healthcare professionals who want to create their own career, create their own destiny and work in the wellness space because I'm really into what I'm what I'm now calling true healthcare, like not practicing sick care, which is what we do in the hospitals, but blending the medical professional and the wellness professional together into what I call true healthcare. And so what I what we're doing is just bringing together like I love connecting people as you can tell I'm always like who else is doing this thing right <laughs> yeah um, bringing us all together as one in a group in that safe space to say hey it's okay that you don't necessarily want to subscribe to the sick care model hey it's okay that you're not only a wellness professional that you do have this extensive education experience background in the medical industry right yeah. Um, and just bringing everybody together in, in a place of power to be able to create their own practice, however that looks for them. So, so you're helping other practitioners, wellness practitioners, build businesses for themselves. Correct. But those of us that specifically have been trained in healthcare. In Western and some Western, sort of alternative yeah. method Correct. that are, at least there's the, the interest there. Mm-hmm. And you do you find that people that have done this sort of alternative work, the kind of stuff that I do, the kind of stuff that you now do, do you feel that the levels of burnout are lessened? I think so. Um, and what do you think the difference is? I think the difference is, and I'm just starting to come to this understanding myself, yeah. it's like... I wanted to be a medical doctor because I wanted to help people. I wanted to be a physical therapist because I wanted to help people. And then I got to helping people and it was stuck in a box in terms of insurance and how you have to help. And then the churn and burn and the productivity standards. But then I also realized as I took care of my health, I'm like, wait a minute, I am not practicing healthcare. Why am I practicing in the break fix model? Why am I not on the prevention side of things and how can I do that? And I just think it's a, like, like we've been talking about, it's a more a creative experience versus a creative and proactive experience versus a reactive experience once something's broken down. And I think that gives a different spin, a different energy and a lot of hope to the, those practitioners. Yeah, I agree. And I, what I've been hearing a lot from people during the podcast is that they got into specific jobs because of this core desire to be of service, to help people. And what they didn't realize was that they were going to be have a lot of structure around the way they were supposed to help with, with, within whatever model they chose to use. Mm -hmm. And that realization that their expectation of how they would feel about helping people and how they feel about helping people in this particular model, they didn't match up with one another. Mm, there wasn't enough autonomy. Right. You know, there wasn't enough decision-making. There wasn't enough space. They, they noticed that there were a lot of other things happening that they couldn't touch. 
I, I talked to a lawyer who said, you know, I was helping people and that was my job. And I, I did it because I watched a lawyer help. Just like you said, you shadowed someone, you saw it happen. It was magical to you. You went for it. But then what you were doing didn't match the picture of what you thought you were going to do in your mind. Right. Right. So this, this expectation of, of being in a little bit of a different place than you expected to be in. And, and when I spoke to this lawyer, she said, you know, I got to this place and I was doing all of these things and I was busy and I was helping people. And I realized that a lot of the stuff that I was doing was very much on the surface, which is what you're saying too. It's like this break and fix model. I'm helping people after the fact and I want to help people before they get to that point. Mm-hmm. And that's why we're talking about burnout now. That's why burnout is such a huge thing right now because we need to start recognizing these symptoms before people are laid up like, like you were with back pain and or people are getting sick because they've been under chronic stress for so long that their bodies just break down. A lot of burnout stories I hear, people were unable to physically work. Oh, yeah. They were so sick. And some of those people had disease processes. And some of those people, the doctors did all the blood work and said, oh, there's nothing wrong with you. But they couldn't function. Oh, I've been there. (laughs) Yeah. So I don't think we talked about this in the story um, where you did just briefly mention about my back injury, which that the injury itself happened at work. But I was out for six months. I couldn't walk, stand, sit lay down for more than five or 10 minutes at a time. Right. And it drew on long, long after that and where it just was flared up all the time. And I realized in that moment, now this is a little bit of departure from the burnout, but I was upset about how the injury occurred at work where it was a quote team lift where I was the only one lifting. And it wasn't until I realized that I was carrying that story that I was still angry with my team member who didn't help, could have just said, I don't feel well, I don't think I can help you. Um, And I used EFT, uh, emotional freedom tapping technique to tap through that situation, that anger and what I thought and how I felt about it. And the pain hasn't returned to that level or anywhere near it since. And so I think there is something to be said about that, that the anger there, if we're carrying any animosity or anger about a situation at work, because I used to do occupational medicine and workers comp, and I would just hear how upset people were that they, they didn't feel heard or understood about their injury. The injury itself was real. The pain is real. The, yeah. the chronic or the continuation of it sometimes has these interlockings with other emotional stuff, which is why I think the thought model, EFT and all these things are so important. Yeah. Yeah. And so important to look at because if we're working with managers and coworkers day in, day out, we spend more time with them often than our families, then we really want to make sure that we, we address how we feel and how we think about our, that work environment and the people within it. Right. And I don't think that that's a departure from burnout at all. I think that's very often the cause. You get into that position where you had a a situation with someone that made you uncomfortable in some way and you hold on to this emotional level of anger or resentment or whatever it happens to be and you don't let it go and you live with it every day and whether or not you're playing the tape every day in the back of your mind, that cassette is going and going and going. Mm -hmm. And of course you're going to burn out. You can't feel your best when you're living in that story all the time. Right. 
of course you're going to burn out. You don't, you, you don't feel heard. You don't feel understood. You feel ignored. You don't feel listened to. I mean, it's how do you not burn out when that's how you feel going into your office every day? Right. And yeah. it's the same thing why I said why the journal exercise at, after work it's is so, so powerful and important because it gives you closure. It gives yeah. your brain a chance to be heard. It gives you an opportunity to say what needs to be said to process those thoughts and feelings and then you close the book and that's the end of the day and you can really be free from work so that you don't like she said the, the cassette tape doesn't run in the background and wear you down yeah i think that that is a magical place to wrap this up because what i would like to tell people to do is if you were struck during the course of this conversation by a story that you know you're telling yourself that you can't get away from break out that notebook we're not talking about any sort of fancy journal that you need to have special pens for. We're talking a 99 cent notebook from anywhere. Absolutely. Open it up, dump it out, do a brain dump, get that stuff out of your head so that you can create some distance between yourself and that story because you cannot change the story that you're telling without distance. I love it. You can't do that. Tavana, as per usual, you are joy to speak with. I am so happy that you took the time to talk to us today. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me and for doing this for everyone. Oh, I hope it goes far and wide. Okay, everybody, that was a conversation with Tavana Denise Boggs, who started as a PT and now uses both her Western knowledge of medicine and her alternative knowledge that she's gained over the years to help you create businesses that work for you in the health and wellness sector. I will leave all of her information in the show notes so that you can get in touch with her should you need her. And if this episode resonated with you, please do share it far and wide with everyone that you think could benefit from hearing it. That being said, I will talk to you next time. Thank you.